thyroid issues, let's make sure you're not barking up the wrong tree. Today's show is all about the thyroid. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host. Today is show 298 and I have welcomed back past show guest Eric Ballcabbage, Dr. Eric Ballcabbage, uh, and while Dr. Kelly Holderman couldn't make it onto the show with Eric today, they have co-written uh, what I believe to be an extremely helpful book called The Thyroid Debacle. Uh, and it's really a book that helps people widen their their thinking around all of the things that might be implicating poor thyroid function as well as all of the things that might be happening uh, away from your basic thyroid markers uh, that are causing cellular thyroid dysfunction uh, in your cells and meaning that so many people, even though they're taking medications, are still experiencing a ton of thyroid symptoms. And, and so Eric, I mean, he's been so passionate about this, shares relentlessly across his education channels uh, and has supported people on cellular hypothyroidism for years. And, uh, and I think coming together with Kelly, who you guys might have heard her on the show, we did a show on phase 2.5 detox, a, coin, a phrase she coined, uh, and her personal health journey, uh, being diagnosed with two separate chronic, uh, autoimmune conditions and healing herself from those as a traditional doctor, then moving into holistic functional medicine, uh, the two of them come together and just have such a broad understanding of the human body and to bring those two, uh, clinical expertises together into one book, uh, and onto one show today for you is, an absolute pleasure. I know so many people with thyroid issues who don't seem to be able to resolve them, can't seem to find root causes uh, or practitioners to support them. And I know today's show is going to help you. So we're going to hook into that in a little minute. I want to thank everybody who joins me each week and welcome everybody who's new to the show. Uh, your listenership is never taken for granted. I love hearing stories about how the show changes lives. In fact, just last week, I got a beautiful share on social media when I had Grace Newback uh, to go deeper into the subject of Feng Shui. Someone shared that thanks to the first show I did with Grace, they had been at the point where they were going to sell their house because they just felt like they hated it. And that show was a turning point to creating a house they couldn't imagine loving more um, just by listening to one show for one hour, taking it for a walk. So that's just to kind of say that if there's one that ever comes up, because we do go food, body, home, mind, planet, it's very broad, the topics that we discuss, that we talk about on the show, you might sometimes think, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. Uh, I don't even like my home. Why am I going to listen to a feng shui show? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving soon anyway. 
what might happen if you take the time is all I'm going to say. So thank you for taking the time today. Uh, we have two beautiful sponsors who are joining us to help you make your low-tox swaps more achievable. The first is our major sponsor this year, Oz Climate. You may have heard me talk about them before. They are what I consider to be the, the best Australian business uh, making dehumidifiers and selling um, uh, air purifiers. Uh, we have had rain on and off. We just got the news uh, through the Bureau of Meteorology that we may have three La Nina summers in a row in Australia. We have about a 70% chance of that. You do not want to go into another La Nina without a good dehumidifier or three, depending on your house size, uh, by your side and helping you mitigate moisture issues and excess indoor air humidity. It can't solve water damage, obviously. If there's water damage, under sinks, in walls, pipes burst, etc., um, roof tiles cracked, you definitely need to address those root cause issues. But once you have, and if you don't have those, you can still be dealing with indoor air humidity above 60% due to how the house is built or a lot of broth making or uh, having to use a dryer that's not a condenser dryer. There's a million and one things that create excess indoor air humidity. Humans breathing can do that. So check your indoor air humidity with an, a hygrometer, a really cheap thing that you can buy at the hardware store. And if it's constantly above 60%, that's giving mold a very good chance to grow. So number one thing that I want to stop in my DMs is how do I clean mold? The number one thing I want to do to do that is to tell you prevention is the best strategy and investing in good dehumidifiers is absolutely the way forward. So Oz Climate gives you 10% off all year round. Code is LOWTOXLIFE, nice and easy to remember. And if you're not sure which one to get, just give them a buzz. They'll take you through your floor plan, layout, habits, and make sure that you get the unit that's right for you. Of course, if you need an air purifier and you're worried about pollution, uh, you've got someone with allergies in the house and when the pollens kind of kick up in the springtime, it's a nightmare, then you might want to look at their Winix air purifiers as well, also 10% off. Now, our special sponsor for these last couple of weeks has been uh, Solid Techniques. You would have heard me interview the founder, an incredible mind and engineer, Mark Henry, on the show a couple of months ago now. Uh, and Solid Techniques is basically cookware that is designed with a multi-century guarantee all one piece, which means you don't have parts that break off or, uh, you know, uh, compromise your uh, your pan or your pot in any way, shape or form, or your oven tray, as I collaborated with Mark a few years on now. It is an indestructible oven tray, let me tell you that. And you get a free weight session if you're taking things in and out in the oven uh, day after day and doing a lot of baking. Um, but it's such a great brand. You have either their Noni stainless steel range, nickel free stainless steel, which is fantastic. You know, a lot of people don't realize that about one in a hundred people have nickel allergy and that can come up with, um, skin issues, especially, uh, as a bit of a clue. And to be able to get nickel free stainless steel is fantastic for all of us because you might not know whether that's you. And because it's all produced from the one piece, you're not going to have handles coming loose and all those sorts of issues that happen. And of course, zero Teflon or PFAS in general is used in this range of cookware. You then have their uh, cast iron range, 
brilliant cast iron, pre-seasoned now, quite a few of the products. So that is fantastic for those who have had that as a bit of a mental block. And I always say the best way that you can look after that seasoning and build on it and just make it the most indestructible non-stick pan you've ever had is as soon as you um, just wipe out the contents of whatever you've you've fried, uh, if you can, just don't use any water or detergent at all, just wipe it out. Once you get to the non-stick holy grail, it's actually really easy to do. Uh, and um, and then just put it back on the hot pan, the hot element that's cooling. Uh, that that for me is one of the best things you can do. If you need to build back up the coating uh, to do that, and then to spray it with a little um, uh, you know olive oil spray or rice bran oil, um, those two are really good. That's what um, Solid Technics recommends. I don't recommend cooking with rice bran oil, of course, but for seasoning it can be very useful. And then just pop it in a hot oven for a few minutes and it'll just make sure you're protecting that coating and building it up over time. They are such great products. You will be handing this down for generations. No more buying cheap pan after cheap pan, sending it to landfill and having to deal with the health implications of PFAS nonstick technology. And a lot of people often ask me about green ceramic coating pans. Look, there are a couple of very thick, very good quality ceramic pans, but most are a very thin coating. And while it might be low tox, it's not long duration. And so you are wasting a ton of cash and a ton of landfill. And that is something I want to help you uh, stop. And so uh, you have a fantastic offer from, uh, um, I was going to say I was climate, I've already talked about them, Solid Techniques, and that is to spend $2.79 and receive a free 21-centimeter Oz Iron Lightning Pan worth $109. Your code at the checkout is LOWTOX, and this is only valid till the 31st of August, so I hope you're listening to this one live because it ends in a couple of days. Uh, and I just wanted to mention as well, they have a fantastic Kickstarter that has just launched that you can still make the most of for a few days to come, which is the launch of the Solid Technics Kitchen Tools. And as I was just about to talk about this for the third time, I realized I still hadn't bought mine. So I just jumped onto Kickstarter myself and made sure that I was getting uh, what they call the little flipper, which I think is really cute. It's like a... um. Uh, like a rap name, isn't it? Uh, and uh, I, I really can't wait to get mine in the the mail. So I've got the little flipper coming and the TSS, which is like a more traditional um, uh, flipping tool. And what I love is that they have a left and a right hand option. As a lefty, I think I'm really excited to see how it feels to use a utensil for a left-handed person, probably for the first time in my life. I've always been awkward with scissors and um, power to all the lefties out there who live in a right-handed world. Okay, so uh, those are the wonderful offers that I have for you this week. It's all up in the show notes as well. Uh, so feel free to jump on to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and you'll find those. And uh, now let us take this deep dive exploration into thyroid conditions, how they're diagnosed, how they're medicated, what's up with that, what we can do better and how we can actually support long-term healing. I hope it benefits you or someone you love. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? 
I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Alex? I am great. I am so excited to have you back on the show. Uh, For those of you who haven't listened to the first show I did with Eric, it was a couple of years back and I've put it in the show notes as I have his co-author on this book coming up, uh, Kelly, uh, who was fantastic talking all about detox when we did a detox series. So all those details are in the show notes. Eric, we're not going to... um, rehash what we talked about last time. I think it's time to build. You have so much new material in this book. For me, it almost feels like a clarification of your entire body of work, uh, like a distillation of the really, really important fundamentals and why we're looking in the wrong places sometimes when we're treating thyroid traditionally. Um, I'm excited. Are you excited? Absolutely. I'm really excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited that after years of saying I was going to write a book and trying to get know, it done, that it's finally, know. you know, it's finally yeah. printed. You know how this is because oh, you've, you've done your own, right? So you think it's simple, a simple process. I'll just write this book and if, you know, what it take a couple months and I'll put it out there and it turns into a, you know, turns into a year and two years and then three uh. years. And so Somebody said, are you, are you happy it's done? I said, the day I have a book in hand will be the day I'm excited about it. And now I am excited about it. You know, when you're writing the book, you get how many, you know, you have to, you get it, send it off. You get it edited. You got to make corrections. You got to read it again. You got to edit it. You got to read, fix it again. And by the end of the time, time you're, you're just ready to divorce it, right? Yes. You're just ready. I'm, I just cannot look at this one more time. You are literally and, stealing thoughts from my mind right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but now that I have the book, like I, I have my, my, I'm reading my own book, right? Mm. Highlighting stuff in my own book, right? Because you almost, for some to some degree, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. And so it's a really, it's a really good feeling now that it's done, now that it's out there, and I, I. It's funny because somebody said, well, how was the experience? I said, listen, if I had to do it all over again, I would write it. I might even write a different book. Mm. And every time I got the chance to edit it, I rewrote stuff and I was like, oh, yeah. I shouldn't do this. So I'm, I'm excited it's out there. At some point, we're going to do an audible version of it and we're going we're gonna to do kind of a unique, I, I think a unique spin on how we do the audible version of it. Oh, fabulous. Like I was, I've been listening to Dave Goggins's book with my son um, who's starting his teenage years and I really wanted to open his eyes up to how much people can live through and yet still succeed. Like just give him, start giving him some of those inspiring stories and I love how Dave and his ghostwriter do the Audible book because you kind of break away once you've read a section then you talk through it. I'd imagine that's the kind of vibe you guys will be going through. Yeah, so that's mm. exactly what we want to do is kind of go through, read it through a chapter and then, stop and okay here's and maybe here's something we missed that we want wish we would put in and let's talk about yeah. it or hey we talked about that let's let's discuss that a little bit so i think that'll be a fun way for somebody to get the book and if they were especially part two is pretty thick because they were talking about a lot of the yeah the chemistry of what's going on and hopefully we did a a, a good enough job that people can grasp what's going on and get the understanding of it you know we i think I think one of my editors said, Hey, you said this piece already. I'm like, listen, this stuff is heavy. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to repeat a bunch of that. Some, some of the stuff over. So it helps sink yeah. in because you read it once and you're like, oh, 
you read here the second time, a third time you go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yep. I got it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I appreciate that as someone who ditched uh, biology, chemistry, physics, as soon as I possibly could at school, because the way it was framed at school was not interesting to me at all. It's much later that I became interested in science. For me, I really feel like I now understand what's going on um, having read your book. So that in itself for so many people who are confused by conflicting messages around thyroid health and treatment and full body health, I think is going to be really, really useful. Um, In the intro, you talk, like you just jump right in there and say conventional treatment has not kept up when it comes to thyroid. Um, And that could be somewhat of a bombshell for someone who's been on their meds and not, I mean, statistically, we hear that about 90% of thyroid patients are unhappy with their Um, the results of their treatment if they really thought about it, which I think is crazy that we then continue to perpetuate the way we treat thyroid. What is it that you have seen as someone who has championed uh, a more holistic look at what's going on when someone's thyroid isn't uh, functioning, let's say, or um, their markers are out? Um, What is the main thing that you find outdated? So what's the main thing I see that's wrong going on? Mm. So I think what we, when we look at thyroid physiology, the medical community, and there's, it's not that the medical communities, I hate to say like doctors are doing, or bad people are doing the wrong thing. That's not really yet. But the medical community is focused on treating the disease once it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's not functional medicine. Functional medicine is about getting to the root cause. So I, I kind of give them a hard time, but I understand this is the training. Hey, we, we're not going to, we're not going to cut anything or drug anything until we know that there's a disease process that requires it. Right. Mm. So that's not healthcare though. That's disease management. That's symptom management. And when it comes to thyroid physiology there, I think if you ask the average endocrinologist, what's the cause of it, they would say it's an immune driven process, but they don't have a tool in the toolbox to address the immune system other than to put somebody on immune suppressive drugs. And that's not a great strategy. Um, and so they say, Hey, listen, it's an autoimmune condition. The immune system's attacking the thyroid gland. We have no idea why. So we wait until the gland is damaged and destroyed and it can't make it. And we just give it. And they make the assumption that just restoring the chemistry, the enough T4 to normalize TSH means that they've restored all of the thyroid physiology and all the cells and tissues. And the problem is thyroid hormone production is only one small, well, it's mm-hmm. a big piece, but it's only one piece of the picture. Thyroid hormone in the bloodstream is great, but we also need to get thyroid hormone into the cells, have it converted, bind to receptors and actually do what it's intended to do. And just because you have more, you've put more thyroid hormone into the bloodstream doesn't mean it's going to get in the cell, get activated, bind to receptors and do what it's supposed to do. And I use an analogy often with clients, and I think I use it in the book as well, is if your car wasn't running well and the gas tank was on, you know, a quarter tank and somebody said, oh, obviously the reason the car's not running well is because the tank's not full and you filled the gas tank up. It doesn't mean 
it's going to run better, right? Yeah, yeah. It just be, more gas doesn't make mean it's going to work better. And if you went to a different mechanic and they said, well, they put the wrong gas in, so we're going to put this high test gas in instead of that leather test gas, and they they're going to say it'll run now because the gas tank's full. Well, maybe not. Maybe the gas. Maybe it's not about how much gas is in the tank. Maybe it's a matter of how much gas gets to the engine. Maybe it's a matter of, is there anything at the engine that's preventing the gas from working appropriately? Maybe my spark plugs are bad. Maybe my fuel filter is bad. Maybe my air filter is bad. Maybe there's no engine, right? So there's a lot of reasons that you could have a full gas tank and the system not work, just like you could have a normal TSH, normal T4 and not have appropriate metabolism in your cells or appropriate levels of thyroid hormone, especially T3 inside your cells. And, med and allopathic medicine really just does not pay attention to the cellular component of what's going on. And so that's really the focus of, of what I try and talk about a lot is, hey, we have to consider what's happening at the cellular level because when somebody has hypothyroid symptoms or hyperthyroid symptoms, it's a matter of what's happening at the cell. It's not a matter of what's happening in the blood. It's a matter of what's happening in the cell. And this and is so, why, so people could be on medications, for example, and still be wondering why they, half their symptoms haven't gone away. Absolutely. Mm. Like, and it's one of the reasons, not only could somebody be on medication, see some improvement, and then still continue to have symptoms, but it could be a reason somebody initially, maybe they initially feel better. Mm. And then all of a sudden they start getting worse again and their lab and their doctor's thinking, hmm, no, you look more hyperthyroid. I don't, it can't be a thyroid issue. You got plenty of medication because they don't realize that by actually putting too much medication into the system, they can actually cause more tissue hypothyroidism, actually make the condition worse. Hmm. As we drop somebody's TSH level too low, TSH is one of the primary drivers to convert T4 to T3 inside the cell. So it's that TSH doesn't just stimulate thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. It actually activates the enzyme called deiodinase 2 that converts T4 to T3. So if you drop your TSH too low, then you're turning off deiodinase 2. Now you can't at the cell level, the brain is telling all the cells, load, we're loaded with thyroid hormone. Don't convert anymore. <laughs> and so yeah. cells reduce their conversion. Somebody's like, I, my TSH is like 0 0.005. I'm like hyperthyroid yet. I'm gaining weight. My, my hair's falling out. I can't, I'm constipated. I got no libido. My doctor says I must be eating too much or not exercising enough. And no, 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 no. You're over-medicated. Mm. That dropping that TSH too low actually creates the body to stop conversion at the tissue level. So, and if you don't measure anything to see if that's going on, which doesn't happen in, you know, you're only, we're only running two tests, typically TSH and a reflex to free T4. And those two tests aren't technically, aren't going to show you the tissue hypothyroid state. So if that's all you do, you're in minimal labs and only look at this narrow window. Yeah. You can pat yourself on the back that, Hey, I dropped TSH and I raised T4 with my T4 medication. I did my job at life is good. Um, they may have, they may have achieved biochemical normalization, acceptability. Right? Yeah, 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 but not biochemical well-being, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, wow. Okay, so what would you say the perfect world scenario would be for thyroid testing? <laughs> well, so step one, 
you if at a minimum you have to run a more comprehensive thyroid panel. You need TSH. Uh, somebody asked me last night on a podcast, like, do we need total values? Why can't we just run free hormones? Well, free hormones are what's available to get in and out of the cell, right? Um, but we need to know how much we have to start with, right? So you could have, I see this, I, I see this based on how much, what they call binding globulins or transport proteins around, you might have a lot of you could have normal free hormone, but the total value, there's not much hormone to begin with in there. There's not much reserve in circulation. So I think you need both the total T4 and T3. You need the free, free T4, free T3. You need reverse T3. And we could talk about why docs don't run it and what the controversy is around it. You need to take a look at, uh, you could take a look at T3 uptake because that gives you a window to, to the how much is bound and how much is free. And then thyroid antibodies, I think, are, are important, uh, not because they define autoimmunity or not, but the antibodies are important. They kind of give us an idea of where the immune system is in its, in its phases. And two, it can give us an idea of the trend that the patient's moving towards. Are they moving towards more inflammation? Or are they moving away from that? And maybe we're starting to see less damage to the thyroid gland and healing and repair. So I think my perspective on, on thyroid antibodies, and we could talk about that in a bit if you want, is a lot different, I think, than some of uh, the other people who are in this space who talk about thyroid antibodies. I think they make a lot of it, you know, everybody's like, well, but am I autoimmune? Listen, if you have thyroiditis, inflammation of your thyroid gland, it's immune driven. Whether you see antibodies or not, it's immune driven. And depend, if, if the immune system's in a Th1 dominant state, you may not be making many antibodies, but you may have lots of destruction to your thyroid gland from your immune system. Um, but if you're Th2 dominant, you might see a lot of antibodies. So it all depends on the swing. But there's, I see a lot of patients who are have thyroiditis, that have autoimmunity, they're TH1 dominant. And it's not until they actually start getting healthier that you actually start to see antibodies start to pop up. And sometimes they think, whoa, am I worse? No, 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 you're not worse. You always, always had thyroiditis. You just weren't in, your immune system wasn't in a state where it was actually making a lot of antibodies. Mm -hmm. And Are then we, that theoretically comes down again as the person goes through their health journey. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So there's, there was this, there was a talk and I, I learned about it too, is that the immune system makes antibodies that attack your thyroid gland and are like little Pac-Men and eat it up. And the, the literature just doesn't seem to agree with that. Mm -hmm. So because everyone's been told that for years, people kind of take that as a, an accepted understanding of what's going on. Yeah, so there's been a couple, there's been a bunch of recent, a few recent papers that have come out, and I think I cite a couple of them in the book. And the authors state that thyroglobulin antibodies create no damage to the thyroid gland at all, none. TPO antibodies cause very little damage, if any. So they, I think they put it at maybe something around five to 10% max of the damage. So what do they represent? I, I think they represent more of the cleanup crew coming to clean up after the damage is done, not the actual thing that's causing the damage. So what's causing the damage? 
Ah, same same as cholesterol theory, really. If there's a lot of cholesterol, that means it's trying to turn up and do something to help um, rather than being the cause itself. Right. So everybody's got this attack on the the antibodies like they're the bad guy. The antibodies are just an indicator that there's thyroiditis and damage and destruction. And the immune system is creating this kind of cleanup crew to go out and get it. But it's the white blood cells, your lymphocytes that are going into the thyroid gland that are creating most of the damage and destruction. And that's, that's not by accident. That's an adaptive response to other cell stressors and cell triggers. So I think that's one of the things I try and point out in the book is like, hey, because people get like mega focused. How do I suppress my antibodies? How do I? Well, you don't if even if you suppress the antibodies, you still have you still have that you could still have the thyroiditis going on because your yeah. lymphocytes are still creating. You're, you're still having an attack on the gland. So it's like, oh, I lowered my cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> you artificially, but there's still a problem with getting cholesterol into a cell or to make cortisol or to mm-hmm. do something with it. You just artificially suppressed it. You didn't fix anything. You just played whack-a-mole with the lab value. That yeah. that didn't fix anything any more than, hey, I've got high blood pressure and I take three blood pressure medications to keep it down. Well, then you still mm-hmm. have the same, you stop taking those blood pressure medications. What happens? Well, then my blood pressure comes up. Well, then you didn't fix anything. Yeah, no. I I mean, I chatted to a a family member recently who was getting over COVID and um, she was still experiencing really low energy. And I said, look, my doctor, who's an integrative doctor, put us on quite high doses of just for a month, fish oil and and CoQ10, a bit of PEA just to really reset the mitochondria, ensure the blood was coagulating normally. Like it was a really good little pack for us. It pushed us through really nicely why don't you talk to your doctor about it? And she texts me and says, um, I can't take the fish oil because of my blood pressure medication. And we know that fish oil can lower blood pressure and therefore it would probably push the blood pressure too low. And therefore, now I'm not a doctor. Um, I actually love great doctors everywhere. It is not an anti-doctor moment, but it is a please, can we take a step back and look big picture because if there were a natural thing and maybe you just had to eat a bit more salmon in your week uh, that could actually reduce the medication, would that not be a really great goal as a, a patient doctor team to, to shoot for? Yeah. And I've had lots of clients uh, who've had discussions with their doctors on things and they said, hey, you need to do stop doing that diet because, uh, you know, it's great problem. I just had a patient. She's got headaches and stuff and it's probably the diet. no. She was on two, she was on three meds. And now that we started modifying her diet and doing things, she was way over medicated with this stuff. Mm. Right. So and the initial thought was the doctor was like, Hey, uh, it's probably your diet. Well, really a, a healthy whole food diet might be causing her to have a lot of side effects. It couldn't be the, the two, blo- <coughs> the multiple blood pressure medications and the other drugs she's on. Mm. So, you know, can I ask you, Eric, like, how do you, because the question we get often and it comes up in our membership um, and you've generously done an amazing uh, FAQ on thyroid for our members in the past, which they loved. Something that people get frustrated by is how can I create partnerships and conversations between my doctor and my um, holistic uh, practitioner? Um, because I want to respect both, but sometimes 
it's it's a really tricky situation. Is it just about like leaving any practitioner that's not prepared to listen and work with you or can you push through? Like you would obviously have to collaborate and talk to um, physicians on a regular basis. How have you formed those relationships and can you advise listeners who are in that sticky situation where they're kind of stuck between two ways of practice um, and they want to move forward? Yeah. It's tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have this conversation a lot with clients and, um, and I said, listen, I'm not, you need a medical doctor. There's a, they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I have a different purpose. So you're the best way to handle this is with honey, not vinegar. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. So, what I, the discussion should be something like, Hey, I've been working with you for a long time. I'm still struggling with some health issues. I reached out to a functional medicine practitioner. They do something different than you do. And I would, I want, I want this to be a team thing to help me get better. It's not about, you know, I, it's not that I don't trust you, but I know there's certain things that you do and certain limitations and restrictions you have and a certain way you're trained and this person's trained a different way. And what I'd really like to do is just have everybody kind of work together. I don't want to replace you there. Each person's going to be doing something different, but the common goal is to get, help me get healthy. And if you're, if the doctor is not willing to even listen to that, you probably have the wrong doctor because they're not looking out for your well-being anyway. They think they've got all the answers. And if they've been struggling to get you well, then. Then it's, it's probably, not the right person. Yeah, it's probably not. Yeah. But what I see is a lot of people is if you, where doctors are, a lot of the people I see, I, the, my client is their probably worst nightmare in their office because they don't know what to do. And that person continues to come in and complain. So if they go in there saying, hey, I, I, we're going to try this. I need you as part of my team, but I need, need a different approach to see if there's something else I would do. They're going to work my diet, my lifestyle, and um, really kind of make it seem like you're not leaving them. It's not you don't distrust them. You just need to try another avenue. And I, and, and I always say, make it sound just like if you were trying to get something from your spouse, right? <laughs> Listen, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> I know you've done everything you can do. I know there's all limitations. So I'm one I'm trying this thing. This is work. This process is working out. I really, this'll help you. It'll help me and kind of make it uh, like all just have that kind of discussion with them. And I think if you go in there with a more kumbaya, bringing us all together versus I want this test. And my, this guy said mm-hmm. this, you're doing this wrong. And that, that that's not going to work out at all. hundred percent. Right? I always say, if you want to get your partner to stop using the ultra toxic deodorant, the worst way you can do that is saying, stop using that. It's toxic. <laughs> that is the way that you get them to run in the opposite direction. You need to take people along for the ride, right? You need to Absolutely. help people come to their own realizations that, something in the middle is going to be the best. Mm. Yeah. And I, I tell patients all the time, you know, make them think like they're the one who came to the conclusion or the, or the, the answer, right. Help them come to those. Wouldn't it be a good idea to run this or could that be helpful? Like, ah, you know, help psychology one right. <laughs> right. So, Oh, honey, yeah, that's I, such I, a great idea. I didn't think right. of that. Yeah. <laughs> And so usually, and, and, you know, early on, I think I, there was, I used to get kickback, but now I, I 
a lot of the physicians, if we need to do something or we need their help, I think they've they see the positive improvements in their clients. And uh, I think they're happy to run if we need to run something that, or need something needs to be checked or something needs done. A lot of them are super helpful because they're like, well, thank goodness. Cause now, you know, this person's not in here all the time. They're not complaining. They're not giving me a hard time and Hey, my client's getting better. And I, it, it's never about me. It's never about the medical doctor. It's always about the client. And I think, I think that sometimes the patients forget that mm. they're the boss, right? Yeah. And whether you exactly. have insurance or not. Like I asked somebody, they were complaining about their medical doctor. I'm like, why don't you just switch? And they're like, well, it's hard to get a medical doctor. I'm like, okay, so your insurance is, you're, you're going in. Why do you see him? Well, he's on my insurance and it, you know, it's, it's, it's only a $50 Kobay. I don't have to pay it, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay, so would you pay the real fee? If his office visits 395 a visit, right? Mm. Would you, would you pay for his advice and his help out of pocket? No. Okay. Well, then it doesn't have value. Why are you going? Well, because my insurance covers it. No, you're still paying for it. You're just paying for less of it at that moment. Yeah. But why would you pay for a service that has no value? If his service was really good, you would, you would have said, absolutely, I would pay that because I get value for it. Um, and I think that's what a person has to keep in mind doesn't matter if insurance cover or not, you're still paying for everything. And so am I getting value? No. Then it's time to have a different discussion, different conversation or different or find somebody who you think is giving you some value for your, for your time and your money. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for um, tangenting there. Cause I think it is something people struggle with and getting different perspectives from different health practitioners on the show always helps people just pluck up that courage to have those conversations move forward because at the end of the day, like you said, I say it too, you are the boss recruiting your team. Like that is your health is the boss, you and your health, and then you recruit the best team to perform well and to continue right. to perform well, um, just like and, a business. Yep. And mm. it's same, I tell patients all the time, like if they're my client, if you don't think I'm helpful or you don't see the value in what I'm doing, mm. you, you just let me know, right? Yeah. If I can't change it or fix it, then we need to find you a be- somebody who's going to be matched up with you better. It's because it's never about me. It's never mm. about me. It's always about, it, it, it's about me from a service perspective, but I, I want the best for my client. If we're not a good match, we shouldn't be working together. Let's find somebody who you think is a better value for you, whether you're right or wrong. Let's find somebody who you think is a better value because you have to resonate with whoever you're working with. Yeah. If you don't, you're going to be fighting it all the way. We should get back to your question though. You asked about what should somebody run mm. they want to know about their thyroid physiology. And we talked about the thyroid panel, but I got to be honest, I never run just a thyroid panel. Yeah. And I, do, and I don't think you can assess thyroid physiology with just a thyroid panel. So um, I run as at least as on a, when the first time I meet somebody, I run what I call a comprehensive metabolic panel and my mm-hmm. comprehensive metabolic, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yes. And, um, when I worked in the hospital 30 years ago, um, a comprehensive metabolic panel was maybe 28, 30 tests today. A comprehensive metabolic panel is about 14 here. Okay. Oh, wow. It's mm-hmm. reduced. Oh yeah, it gets smaller and smaller all the time and tests get thrown out because if there's not a drug or a diagnosis that can be made off the test, well, does it really have value, right? And so I run a comprehensive panel 
and I want to look and I run a big panel like that because I want a 30,000 foot view of my client. And so I want to, I want to look at their thyroid panel. Do I have a patient who's got a tissue or cellular hypothyroid state based on their thyroid panel? Do they have a glandular issue based on their panel? And then if they, if I see a problem with the thyroid panel, then I want to go start to understand why. Even if I don't see a problem with thyroid, I'm going to look at the rest of it. But if I see, hey, I've got poor tissue conversion, I got a person complaining of hypo, hypothyroid signs and symptoms. Do I does the thyroid panel tell me that? Yes, I have decreased conversion of T4 to T3, and now I want to go figure out, okay, why? So I'll look at the. I run probably seven different inflammatory markers on my blood panel. Why? Because they're not always. Sometimes you have different markers that are elevated and sometimes they're normal. They're, they're different for each person, especially based on what's going on. So I'll look at the seven different inflammatory markers. And do I have a pattern of inflammation? I do. Oh, okay. If I have inflammation, what's inflammation going to do? Inflammation is going to suppress my TSH. It's going to decrease my T4 to T3 conversion. Okay. Now I know I've got an inflammatory issue going on. Now I've got probably a cell danger response going on. Now I want to go look at the rest of the panel and find out what systems are being impacted by that. So I'll go look at my blood sugar markers. Do I have a higher fasting glucose? Do I have a higher fasting insulin? Is my, do I have a higher hemoglobin A1C? What's my LDH level? Am I more anaerobic than aerobic? I'll look at my iron panel. Is my iron regulating appropriately? Do I have a low serum iron and maybe iron saturation and a higher ferritin level indicating I got iron dysregulation, anemia of inflammation. I'll look at the CBC panel to confirm that that might be going on. So I want to see that. I want to look at the lipids because I want to see, am I able to get cholesterol out of the bloodstream and into the cells and tissues? And the liver is a great way, place to look at that. So if I've got high cholesterol, high LDL, I know that I've got decreased T3 at the liver because I can't dock the cholesterol at the liver and get it into the liver so I can make healthy bile and get that stuff out. I want to look at triglycerides and, L and VLDL as well to find out, hey, can I actually burn the triglycerides that I might be trying to liberate from my fat or is it getting saturated in my liver and then having to go back out and get stored as fat? So if those are those are elevated, then I know, hey, I've got a liver component, I've got a mitochondrial component. Um, I can look at my sodium to potassium ratio and say, do I have an adrenal issue going on without even looking at my Dutch test? And if I have a hypoadrenal pattern going on, now I know my adrenal gland is being impacted by this whole this whole ca cascade of events. And hey. I've got a hypoadrenal effect and I've got high cholesterol and I've got tissue hypothyroidism. No wonder I have low cortisol because I can't get cholesterol out of the bloodstream into the adrenal gland to convert into cortisol because that all occurs in the mitochondria. When you have a cell stress response going on, mitochondria gets down-regulated. So you can start to put all these pieces together and start to say, huh, I've got problems with my blood sugar regulation. I've got problems with mitochondrial function. I've got problems with my liver. My gut showing markers of inflammation in my gut, low stomach, stomach acid production. I got multiple markers of malabsorption. I got a gut issue I'm going to have to deal with almost right away because I can't put load a person with a bunch of supplements that they can't absorb. So I know I've got to deal with that. And so when you look at a broader panel like that, you can identify glandular and cellular hypothyroidism, but you can also understand what tissues are being impacted so that you know how to direct care and what you're going to need to help support in the recovery process. And it might get a clue as to what's 
causing some of that stuff. And for that, you can look at, you, you know, you look at markers of respiration. Do I have a condition where I've got low CO2? Hmm. I've got low CO carbon dioxide in the system. And this is a person who is waking up at night to pee a lot. Huh. How about that? So they've got poor respiration. They're creating hypoxia at night. Because of the hypoxia, they get decreased vasopressin. Decreased vasopressin is resulting in more urine production now. And the hypoxia is waking me up because I'm is it literally, I'm choking myself at night, right? So I'm, I'm getting my sympathetic stimulation at night. It's keeping me from getting deep sleep. Plus I'm feeling my bladder fill up. And I'm going to pee three, four times a night. And then I'm wondering why I can't lose weight. Well, if I'm in stress and I'm not getting sleep, guess what? That adds to my stress response and my thyroid hormones downregulated. So mm. the listeners are probably going, what the heck is he talking about? But this is how- when <laughs> No, you I love to, it. Yeah. When because you, you've- when you, no, go, go, go. When you look at a, a bigger view of what's going on, you can see how this stuff all ties together. When you just look myopically at a TSH and free T4, because you're all you do, you're an endocrinologist who only deals with thyroid physiology. You think everything else is separate and disconnected from what's going on. In reality, everything is connected. And it's, I talk about this in the book, when you have all this stuff going on and you've got this excessive cell stress response going on, you don't have 10 different conditions. You have what I and Kelly talk about in the book is a multi-system adaptive disorder. Your body doesn't hate you. Your body is not trying to kill you. Your body is going, oh my gosh, we're in danger. Turn down the electricity to the things that don't matter right now and put it towards self-preservation and protection. Mm, absolutely. And basically the um, monologue you just went on there, Eric, <laughs> Sorry about around that. <laughs> testing. No, no, it was really good. I was like, absolutely, of course. And that, and that, and that. And it's like you went four-year-old on human physiology, but why, but why, but why? And they just keep asking and you're like, oh my gosh, stop with the questions. But if you ask why enough times, you actually start to get a clearer idea of what's going on. And that for me is what I get not only from your work, but from um, how you've put it so succinctly into the book. Um, and, and that's really what's going to help people. So something you've mentioned a couple of times and some people may not have heard about it before. It's funny, I've actually interviewed three people in the last month who have cited Bob Navio's work on the cell danger response. Uh, so obviously it's helping you guys really get to the bottom of um, cases that have long been thought, oh, well, um, I don't know what to do there. Uh, can you talk about the cell danger response and why you think it's been such a groundbreaking um, opening up of understanding of the body and what's going on? Yeah, so... Dr. Navio did a fantastic job of kind of writing this paper and taking a whole bunch of different danger perspectives, like things that would cause a stress, stress on the cells, mitochondrial stress, all these different stress uh, theories and said, okay, they're all really part of the same thing, a, a big danger response. So if you think about it, your cells are like people. Your cells operate in one of two modes. They're either in low stress manufacturing mode. So they're trying to make a lot of energy so that they can make sex hormones and digestive enzymes and 
neurotransmitters and cell membranes and thyroid hormones and burn fat. Like they're in, you're in manufacturing mode, right? Or a cell is in self-preservation or protection mode. So what the cell danger response is, is that your mitochondria is kind of this sensor for what's going on inside the cell. So when the, when these energy sensors realize that, Hey, there's a, there's a significant drop in energy inside the cell that triggers a, the, like the alarms to go off, right? Ooh, there's a, you know, there's a hurricane coming or something like, and so the, now the cell says, Whoa, stop what you're doing, stiffen the cell membrane, release inflammatory signaling molecules to tell the immune system, there's a problem, come help, come help, tell all the other cells, batten down the hatches, don't go out, close off, don't let anything in. And then the cell just, it closes itself off. And now it starts trying to find what's creating that that threat or that danger, a toxin, a virus, a bacteria, and get rid of it. And it triggers this cascade of processes. And so Navio talked about that. And the importance of that is, is that oftentimes, I don't think physicians are aware of the idea or the concept. So they're assuming that one of two things, that A, everybody's in homeostasis, and they don't realize that there's this allostatic state. So homeostasis is when we're in a low stress state, we have enough energy to do everything. That's when we're chill, we're healthy, we're doing good. Allostasis is when we're in this kind of excessive stress response where, hey, I don't have enough energy to do everything. So I'm going to turn down the electricity to the things that don't matter and spend time and energy towards the threat. And so um, the reason that becomes important, because if, if, if I'm in a cell danger allostatic physiology, you may give me something and say, hey, this is going to help your digestive output, right? My, my digestive system isn't in the production process of digestive acids or pancreatic enzymes. So if you're giving some, me something to help my digestion um, as a Band-Aid, that may be okay, helpful, but that's not going to fix the issue. My physiology is not going to be good. So we do something like we, somebody's, oh, you got SIBO. So I'm going to give you some antimicrobials. You're going to kill the SIBO. You're going to be good. And then three, two months later, it comes back. Why? Well, because the GI tract was still in a down-regulated state because the body's still in this excessive stress, st- cell stress state. You know, we sometimes we give nutrient, like, you know, I want to lower your blood pressure. So I'm going to give you a drug and it works for a while. And then all of a sudden, my blood pressure is back up again. So I got to give you another drug. Well, why is it not working? Well, because the body is in this allostatic state where it needs higher blood pressure. It's trying to constrict blood flow to get blood volume to places, right? Brain, toes. And so we have to ask the better question, like, is this a person who's in a repair and regenerative state that they're either going to, they're even going to benefit from the treatment I'm providing, or is this a person who's still in danger mode? So anything I do is still going to be a band-aid until I address the root cause. So when I read Navio's paper, and it's a heavy read, and so I've I've read that paper probably 20 times. I probably, you know, I read that paper at least once a year because every time I read it, I take a whole new set of notes and try and take those concepts and take a look at it. But he's got some neat pictures on there on on his paper that says, hey, when we're in a, he talks about winter, summer, and so it's stress, non-stress states, essentially, you can give somebody vitamin D 
And depending on the state, it may be helpful or maybe problematic. You could give somebody tryptophan, but if they're in a, in a low stress state, maybe you're making serotonin and they feel better, right? Or if you're in a high stress state, maybe that tryptophan is going to make quinolinic acid or kinorenic acid and something that's going to potentially be more neurotoxic, right? So the, here's a nutrient. I give it as the doctor or the pay, or the client says, hey, I'm going to take B6 because it's good for me. And then they take it and they go, oh, this makes me feel terrible. I'm allergic to B6. No, you're not allergic to B6. You gave your body some B6 and the body said, whoa, I need this for this inflammatory pathway to support more inflammation. And now you think you're sensitive to B6. So we have to always keep in mind these concepts that what's the state that my client's in? And when Navio came out with that paper, that helped really helped to me kind of say, oh man, we're looking at this. We're not taking into consideration that the patient isn't going, to, they're in an allostatic state. They're not going to, just because we give them something and we want it to help them, that doesn't mean the body's going to use those nutrients the way we want it to. It's going to use the nutrients the way it's best for the physiology in that mode, right? To support whatever that is. If it's in a homeostatic state, yeah, maybe I take that amino acid and I make more productive peptides and proteins. But cells in danger, they don't want to make amino acids into peptides. Why? Because the, the peptides would support the bacteria, the virus that's in there and make it more fruitful. We talk, I talk about this all the time with insulin resistance. We talk to, you know, physicians are always like, it's too much carbohydrates. You know, you got to eat Kenny's, make carbohydrates and you got to exercise more. Yeah, but how's, how's physiology supposed to work? For the first 20 years of your life, when you ate too much, you got rammy and burned it off, right? And then at some point in your life, now I'm barely eating carbohydrates and I'm still insulin resistant. So what's going on? Cells in danger don't want glucose. Cells in danger don't burn fat. So they become resistant to it. Now, why would a cell that's in danger want not want more fuel? Why wouldn't it want more glucose, more fat? Well, because if you put more resources into the cell and there's a bacteria or virus inside the cell, I'm feeding the bacteria the virus, right? And so the cell stiffens those membranes, resists glucose transport. And by the way, by down-regulating the thyroid hormone state, reducing the T3 inside the cell, I reduce glucose transport. So this T cellular T3 is part of that process, but it's by bringing less nutrition in, now the cell engages in this process called autophagy, which is essentially self-eating. And I usually explain it like, hey, imagine a bunch of college kids that have a lot of money at the beginning of the year. I mean, they're, you know, they're buying everything, throwing, making a mess all over the place. Come the end of the semester, they're out of cash, right? What are they doing? They're cleaning up the apartment. They're looking for any nickel, dime, and quarter so they can go buy some hot wings, right? So the cells do the same thing. When there's lots of fuel coming in, there's lots of waste and it just gets discarded inside the cell, but it makes a mess. It's not until we have these danger mechanisms kick in that we start to get more of the cleanup of the cell because the cell is saying, hey, I need fuel. Let me use these broken up pieces that were here before. I'll use that for some energy. And in the meantime, I'm going to be cleaning this place up and looking for where that thread is. So it's really, really kind of opened your eyes. So if we look through every condition, every set of blood work, every client, like, is this a person in allostasis or homeostasis? Is this a person in cell danger or out of cell danger? It changes, at least in functional medicine, it should change the perspective of how we 
treat them and, and take care of them because you, you, you're not going to force somebody healthy if the same danger mechanisms are there. I have a, I make it, I explain sometimes to, if you were, if you had a party this weekend, right? And you're, you got a lot of people coming over. You're making lots of food. You got your daughter sitting at your kitchen island, right? And you're like, all right, uh, I got all these burners on. I'm vacuuming. I'm doing wash. I'm cleaning, doing all this stuff. The house is, you know, in a state of disarray. And somebody comes in and attacks your daughter. Are you going to keep cooking? <laughs> are you, are you going to take time to pack up all the stuff in glass Tupperware and put it in the, in the fridge? Hmm. Are you going to try and slide a load of wash in really quick? Let me just, before I help you, I'm going to vacuum the family room. Okay. Or I'm going to go take a quick nap and then I'll be there. I'm going to go to, I got to, I got to go to the bathroom number two. So I'll be a bit, mm. protect yourself. Right. No, you're going to leave the food burn, vacuum cleaner running, clothes all over the place. Right. And so if I walked into your house in that moment and said, she's a terrible housekeeper and a terrible cook. Right. I could, I could come to that conclusion because food's burning, vacuum cleaners running, clothes are all over the place. And I could say, well, I'm going to hire a chef and I'll get her a house cleaner. Problem solved. Well, now I still, I, now I have a cleaner house and I don't have food burning. And you could say, well, here's dinner, right? I got somebody made you dinner, but you're not eating it. You're busy in another room saving your life and the life of your child, right? None of this clean, the clean house doesn't matter. The vacuum cleaning doesn't matter. The food being prepared for you doesn't matter. And that's how we have to look at ourselves. Like, why can't I, I, my gut, my, my guts, I can't digest food well. Well, probably because your body is so focused somewhere else that it's not producing a lot of acids and enzymes. So what should I do? Should I just take some acids and enzymes? Uh, you, you're going to need that, but we got to figure out what's triggering this excessive cell stress. Re find it, reduce it, eliminate it. And then once we get that danger physiology, down to a point where the body, the cells and tissues can start to go, okay, crisis averted. Now is when we can start to heal and repair. And Navio talks about the healing response in some of his follow-up papers. But it's really important. It's funny. When I read that paper, there's nothing about thyroid physiology in there. And I, and I reached out to him and I said, hey, you don't have anything about thyroid physiology in here. And he's like, I don't really know anything about thyroid physiology. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, we all become a little bit myopic, right? He's doing all this whole paper and all this stuff. And I'm looking in from my mind, I'm like, why, how could you not have thyroid physiology on here? But I get it. He's got so many other things he's looking at, environmental things, all these other things. But that's where I was like, okay, this is where we got to start having this exp explanation about thyroid physiology. T4 in a homeostatic low stress state, yeah, converts to T3. T4 in an allostatic cell dangerous perspective, mm, it'll convert to the and the hypothalamus, but the rest of the tissues is going to get down regulated. So we'll see higher reverse T3, lower mm. T3, and free T3. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think uh, uh, to your point about maybe the reason why um, Bob didn't have thyroid physiology in there is because his body of work is literally about saying, hey, guys, look at all the things that are happening that then show up in your doctor's office for liver, your doctor's office for um, uh, endocrinology, your doctor's office for thyroid. Um, look here too, because that is really what we, uh, what we need to look at um, in the holistic picture. It's so 
fascinating. And so when you step us through things in the book at the, towards the, the more practical third part of the book, um, there's obviously a ton of strategies. You step through all the different um, ideas around, um, you basically help people be their own detective, which is fantastic. Um, can you just speak to the free strategy so that people can get a, a little idea about what they might be undertaking when they get to that part of the book? Yeah. So one of the things that's really important is when we talk, when we talk about the third part of the book, it's all on these things we call like the fitness factors, right? And so mm. these are the key foundational things that we talk about that are really important when it comes to um, getting healthy. And so we talk about these fitness factors and we talk about um, we talk about these, these different concepts and we talk about the free concept. We talk about what you can do, especially, and I, I think I talk about it mostly when we talk about, um, in, I think it's mostly in, in the environmental section. I think we yes. talk about environmental fitness. Yeah. So filter, we reduce, talk about exchange, eliminate. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk about filter, we talk about reduce. So filter, we're talking about air. We talk about water filter like what's coming into the system you could talk about filtering your emotional like mm. the, all the external stuff that comes in and as a little bit of a side note when we talk about filter it's often it's funny like and you this is your world right this is so um but people like like what kind of air filter do i need like what's the best air filter and i'm mm. like how about we teach you how to breathe through your nose yeah Right? That's the because best, this is your best filter, filter we've got. Exactly. Right? And nobody yeah. uses it. I mean, everybody does breathes through their mouths these days. But the, the, once we we have to th we have to think about what we're taking in. So the air quality becomes important, right? Definitely breathing through our nose is important. We talk about water quality. I mean, you talk about this, I talk about this, but man, do you know what's in your water? I don't know mm. if you guys have, we have ewg.org where you can put in your zip code. Do you guys have access to that in Australia? Uh, we do, but not our zip codes. No, unfortunately. Okay. But you can tell, like I always just say, you know, does it smell like a swimming pool? Like that's a pretty good first piece of um, advice on you needing a filter really desperately, like go out and buy one today if your tap water smells like a swimming pool. Yeah. So, I mean, filtration and filtering stuff becomes really important. So think about what's in your, in your, in your water potentially. And we have that nice access. So you can look, you can put it in there and it'll tell you what chemicals in there, what the load of those chemicals are, wow. you know, so what good. all the, tox the, the toxicities and the problems that these chemicals are associated with. And it's interesting when we look about the chemicals, especially in the water, they're individually tested mm. for potential damage, right? But they're not... Yeah. It's not nobody. I don't. Nobody's doing like this. This science. Okay, what if we have all of these chemicals, but at yes. a sub problem, problematic exactly. level? Yeah. What's the synergistic effect? So we talk about filter your filter water, filter air. We talk about reduce. So reduce exposure to as much of the toxicity as you can, and that's what your book and a lot of what you do is all about. Is how do I reduce these things that I'm exposed to? Because it can be tough, right? It can be work, mm -hmm. especially if you're in a more toxic environment. So start to reduce your exposure to things that may be problematic. I think we were talking about, you know, you mentioned deodorant in the beginning. So yeah. like, hey, make, make simple awful. swaps, right? A, yeah. a little bit of time, make it. Exchange more healthier products for more toxic products, right? And then eliminate 
as much of the stuff that you can. So those are like the four key concepts of things to consider. Can I eliminate that? Yeah, I guess I could. Good. Get it out of there. Mm. If I can't eliminate it, can I, can I exchange it for something healthier, better? Yep. Okay. Um, and, and if I can't eliminate it and then I can't exchange it, can I reduce my exposure to it? Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. And then filter, filter if you can. So each chapter is kind of set up to say those, that, you know, simple strategies like that. Yeah. I love that. And what that's doing as a, a completion of what we've been talking about for the last hour is helping us reduce the danger levels, the the things that would put our body on high alert and into protect and survive mode and defend mode. Because the more we can do that, the more we then help our thyroids and everything, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, it, what often happens is we often, people often think of the one thing that's causing their issue. Mm. And it more often it's not one thing. It's more often the, the, the load, like the combinations of lots of things. So I went gluten-free and I don't feel any better. Well, gluten may have just been like one thing. That's like throwing the dinghy off the like Titanic, right? If you don't address your gut floor, if you don't address your sleep habits, you don't address your respiration, you don't address your lifestyle, you don't address your exercise, you don't address like all these other pieces that we talk about, you're probably not going to get better. You know, you might, but you have to start to, you have to, you have to be holistic on this whole process. You can't be just micro-focused on one thing. And I, I see people say, well, I went gluten-free and that didn't work. So yeah, I'm back to eating gluten. And then I did this one thing and it didn't work. So then I did this one thing. I'm like, well, the, all those things are bad. Why don't you just keep them all out? Oh, I didn't really think about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. And I just, but you have to work on a, all of them. I interviewed an immunobiologist recently on finding that signature diet that um, is most uh, what is the best way to say it is best for your immune system because at the end of the day, if your immune system goes into high alert, maybe because of something you're eating and that could be different for everybody. Um, and I know you're a proponent of bio-individuality when it comes to at least working whole foods and then from there having a look at what's going to suit you best. Um, then we take a load off the immune system, which of course I mean, I remember it, it just helped me realize why going gluten-free for me personally um, was the turning point to alleviate tonsillitis, which I used to get four or five times a year. Literally add the gluten back in, get the tonsillitis. So clearly there's something about the proteins in that gluten that signals to my immune system to deplete itself and boom, infection comes. It's incredible. Uh, and from everything you've been talking about today, from everything that's in the book, when we take a step back, look big picture and look at how things are interplaying with each other, um, we start to see a roadmap to how people can get better. Yeah, because it's all these things that we're talking about in part three, that when, because you didn't do those well, or those, the, your level of fitness in that category declined, that's why you got sick in the first place. Right. So I, th I know it's, it's sometimes more comforting to think that it's something that happened to you, but many times it's a lifetime of poor breathing, poor eating, right? A, a, a lifetime of 
um, emotional stress and trauma and toxicity, right? So it is you. It'll take you time to un to get rid of those things, and then take time for your body to start to recover. But you got to work on every one of those. You're only as healthy as the weakest link, many times, right? And so you have to work on all of them. And you know, I. I Often somebody will say, okay, how, how long, how often, how long, how long do I have to work on all this stuff? I'm like, how long do you want to be healthy? Well, I want to be healthy for a while, but I think I just do this now and then I can go back to eating the way I was eating. No. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like doing dry July and quitting booze for a month. Yeah. And then, you know, then you go back to your like five to 10 drinks a week and wonder why your liver markers are higher yeah, than when you did all that good work. Why did yeah. I get why did it get elevated again? Why am I why am yeah. I getting fat? I thought again? I fixed uh-huh. that. Yeah, yeah I thought no. I fixed it. Mm-hmm. No, because you just put started doing the same thing that caused it right back again. But I think we've I, I know our media often in our healthcare system often cre- creates a disconnect between lifestyle and diet with disease, right? Like it's something that, oh, do you have pancreatic insufficiency disease? take this drug. Right. And somebody, I just had somebody say, listen, I, ha- I have a genetic pancreatic de- deficiency. I said, how'd you do it? Well, they did. They detected my low elastase. I'm like, that's not genetic. I'm like, tell me all the other things. Well, I'm overweight. I got this. I'm like, yeah, it's, you probably, you have gut issues. Yeah. I have chronic gut issues. I've always had them, but I never had, I didn't have the, the pancreatic insufficiency. I just found that out. Yeah. You've got inflammation. You've got blood sugar regulation issues. The guy's insulin resistant. I'm like, you know why you don't have pancreatic enzymes? Because your body is probably taking your cells in your pancreas that make pancreatic enzymes and it's using those to make insulin because you're insulin resistant, right? So that is a mechanism. And think about that. Yeah, it's a stopgap. The pancreas will hijack digestive enzyme producing cells and convert them into insulin producing cells when people have problems with insulin resistance and diabetes. Mm. You think about that, like, why would the body do that? Well, if I already have struggle getting the glucose that's in my bloodstream into my tissues, do I need to digest more food and bring more glucose into the system? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and never, like, so you think about like, you go, Oh, that's pretty cool that the body yeah. would do that. We just don't know. And so we just keep consuming and consuming and consuming, but it makes a ton of sense. Wow. That makes, that's pretty cool that the body would be like, Oh, we got a problem over here. Don't make yeah, any more a, digestive enzymes. We don't want more of that stuff in here. It's a prioritization tactic mm-hmm. to, to survive. And you look at almost every system going on. And, it, and you look at it through the lens of that cell danger response and you go, this isn't broken physiology. I was, di- I did a webinar on Tuesday night. I did one every night this week, I think. So Tuesday night, um, and we were talking about mitochondrial dysfunction and they're like, but I think I have mitochondrial dysfunction. I'm like, of course, you, you have down regulation of your mitochondria. Of course you do. That's what happens when you, when you, re- Navio points that out in this paper, you have down regulation of the mitochondria. Why would you do that? Well, if I have a cell danger response, part of the cell danger response is to increase oxidative free radicals, increase the oxidative stress. When I run energy through mitochondria, what do I make? I make a ton of free radicals. I make exhaust. And that's part of the normal process. And I have an antioxidant system in the cell to manage what my mitochondria is doing, right? We make glutathione to deal with the oxidative stress from the mitochondria. 
But if I have to make more free radicals to deal with this threat, and I've got all this mitochondria pumping out all this ex extra exhaust, now what happens to my glutathione? I deplete it. So we see people trying to make, force their mitochondria to work, but I'm like, that CoQ10 co is not going to work. Why would that work? Your mitochondria is downregulated and your body doesn't want you to make more exhaust through your mitochondria because that would cause excessive oxidative stress and start destroying your cell. Your body's smart. It doesn't want to do that. So you look at all these systems and you go, man, we don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> the system is so, you just, I, it amazes me that two cells had so much intelligence in them to do this. And all this stuff happens, like we're not doing anything. You know, you know our, these cells and tissues are doing all this with this innate intelligence. It's just amazing how all this stuff goes on. And we're naive enough to think, oh, my body just broke one day. Mm. Mm -mm. No, I don't think your thyroid woke up and forgot how to work. I don't think your stomach woke up one day and said, hey, I'm just not making stomach acid anymore. Uh, these are chronic long-term conditions and the body adapts and adapts and adapts until it can't anymore. And that's when we see the broken physiology, the exhausted gland, the disease form, because the body just cannot adapt anymore. And we just, and we're not supplying enough energy to the tissues. And then we see disease and then we go, oh, you have a colitis. That, we just cut that out. Like that's the problem. No, it took me 10 years to develop that there's something that created it. And I think that's where we need to do the come in as functional practitioners and say, Hey, we got to get to the root cause. You might have to lose an organ because it's gotten to this far, but if all we do is cut things out or, or whack-a-mole them with medicine, nobody gets healthier. And that's probably why the lifespan is now getting shorter, not longer. Mm. And we have people living in a shorter uh, health span and a longer disease span than we've ever have. Yeah. And something that you mentioned that was a real bombshell for me as I was reading the book was around the real stats when it comes to type 2 diabetes and hypothyroidism. Um, can you share what that is uh, and why you think the public health stats might be so wrong? Well, yeah, I think the. I mean, we, we've been talking about it for an hour now. I know, I kind of know what you're going to say, but I think it'll really help cement the the concepts. Well, when you think, and I don't know what the, the stats are across the pond there, right? Mm, they're but, pretty similar, slightly yeah. less, but pretty so similar. 70% of the US population is now considered overweight, 30% obese or morbidly obese, right? And so we're saying that only that hypothyroidism only impacts about 10% of the population. Well, if you have slowed metabolism, overweight, obese, inflammation, and insulin resistance, you have to have tissue hypothyroidism. And so that means if we've got 70% of the population with slowed metabolism and overweight, guess what? The amount of people that have at least a tissue hypothyroidism is gotta be pushing up into those higher numbers, not 10%, but a much higher number. And so the problem is, is that how do we identify what's going on? We only identify hypothyroidism when we have a high TSH, low free T4, or a high TSH, we call it subclinical. But early on in, 
in a cellular hypothyroid state or the cell danger response, the body is producing inflammation that's actually keeping TSH in a normal range for an extended period of time. And so we're the patient, if we're only looking at TSH, we go, hey, that, that person doesn't have a thyroid condition. They just have insulin resistance. Well, did you check their inflammatory markers? Because if they have inflammation, they're going to increase the conversion of T4 to T3 and their hypothalamus to say to the brain, hey, you got to keep you regulating because we got danger going on here. So I, the numbers are probably much, much higher than what we actually give, give them credit. And the problem is when we think about hypothyroidism, that diagnosis of hypothyroidism, primary hypothyroidism or glandular hypothyroidism doesn't occur until greater than 90% of the gland is destroyed. So that's not the beginning of a thyroid condition. That's when I, can't, I have a gland that can't function anymore. And most people have been experiencing the signs and symptoms of tissue or cellular hypothyroidism probably for years or decades before they ever get the diagnosis of glandular hypothyroidism. You're starting to gain weight. You're probably already got a tissue hypothyroid state going on. You already have an inflammatory state going on. All this ties to, stuff ties together. You can't, if you have decreased mitochondrial function, if you're, if you're storing body fat, if you have high biofat, you got a high leptin, high leptin shuts down conversion. All of this stuff is tied together. So when I look at numbers like like only 10% of the population is, is impacted by thyroid condition. That is nonsense because there's no way how metabolism works when it works. You eat more calories than you need. Your body says, whoa, we're storing calories as fat. Brain, increase the conversion and production of thyroid hormone. We need to increase the metabolism and your body revs up the metabolism and burns the stuff off. Give a little kid too much food. What do they do? They're like running around, right? Their body kicks into gear. When we get older and our metabolism is not working, you give us too much food. What happens? You're asleep on the couch because your body's using a ton of energy to store it into the fat cells. And so we're like, oh my gosh, you guys lay down, take a nap. But it is it's, it's all about perspective of how we're looking at it. But when we're really myopic about how we identify things, we miss the big picture. Right. And I, and I think that's really what's coming on when you talk about high cholesterol, you know, all these people have high cholesterol. Why do you think they have high cholesterol? It's not because of their diet. Only 25% of the cholesterol in the bloodstream is coming from diet. 75% is what the cells are making, what the tissues are making, but can't use or get rid of. That's why it's building up. I can't use it. I can't get rid of it. It's building up. And we blame it on diet and all, or it's just genetic. No, it's not. It is because how do we know? Well, as you start to take care of people, you change your diet, change your lifestyle, reduce the inflammatory stuff, get their thyroid physiology to work better. What happens? Their lipids come back into normal range, right? No statin needed. And so it's just... You know, I, I make it sound like the medical profession is not doing the right thing, but it's just how their system is set up. Their system is set up to identify, they do great at acute care, right? My leg got cut off. I need some help. I was in a car accident. I need some help. Or how do I cut something out or manage the disease? But we can't end the conversation there, Right. There are people that do not want to put any work and time and effort. They would just give me the pill. Just give me the easy way to do it. I want to live my life the way I want to do it. Great. There's, there should be drugs and, and surgeries to do all that stuff. 
But for the person coming in who doesn't know differently, we, ha we have to start giving them the option to say, hey, there is a way to do this that doesn't require drugs. You can be healthier, get your quality of life back, but it requires you to take action and it takes, and it's going to require somebody to help guide you through this process. Do you want, do you want what's easy now, but it's going to be hard later, or do you want to put the hard work in now? So you have, so you have an easy life later, which one do you want? Right. And you should be able to have the choice. When it comes back to healthcare for, for me, I just feel grateful that people like you and Kelly can write a book and help people beyond um, the privilege of private holistic practice, which can sometimes be too much for a lot of people, and I get that. Um, but um, we have ways now. It feels like the new form of media is really helping people realise that they don't have to just be sick and be in the merry-go-round of this economy, we can create a wellness economy, uh, which might be less profitable, but it heck makes a whole bunch more people feel great and therefore enjoying life, which if we look at the metrics of actual happiness, money ranks three. It does not up the top. Health and people to love and be close to is always up the top. So that's what we got to work on and focus on. And that, that's work we can all start today. Yeah, and I agree. And that it's part of the reason we wrote part that part three of the book is so mm. people could have things that they could work on before they reach out to somebody. And I have, you know, I have people that reach out to me and and they want help, but it's not within their means for whatever reason. And, you know, now I, you know, you know I listen to the pot. Hey, listen to my podcast, watch the Diver Thursdays, read the posts. Now it's pick up a copy of the book. It's a minor investment, but there's those are in that third part is all about some of the building blocks and things to think about. And there's lots and lots of ways you can go off. You know, you look at the environmental fitness section, it's a little snippet, but that may lead to your book, right? And so mm -hmm. they'll pick up your book and get more deeper into that topic. Maybe they read the respiratory fitness piece and they start to read um, James Nestor's book, Breath, yeah, or, or the Oxygen Advantage, or uh, read, pick up something by Wim Hof, right? And mm. start to get into some of these uh, other more in depth in each, each one of these things. There's so much, you could have a book, like obviously you wrote a book on just one chapter of my book, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, but you can get really deep into those things, but at least we give you a, like, like a, a starting point of like a broad point of things to do and things you can do on your own and starting point, and then you can branch off. But the reason people are sick is because of their poor foundational you know, factors. We call it the fitness factors. So how do you get better? Do you need, do you need, do you need bottles and bottles of supplements? Do you need lots of drugs? You know what? If you, if you're, especially if you're limited on finances, put time, attention, and effort into eating better, sleeping better, breathing better, moving better, and thinking better. You do those things, you're going to probably be healthier. You know, it, it's just the just key concepts that everybody needs to do. I mean, sometimes people get so focused, like, which food should I eat organic? Okay. How about you eat whole food first? Can you do that? 
Stop being the processed food. That's number one. Well, I don't, I need to know what's organic and not organic. You should eat organic and not organic. No, no, no. How about you just get rid of the processed food, make your life simple. Oh, which diet should I follow? Should I be vegetarian? Should I be carnivore? Should I be keto? Paleo? I read, listen, they're all fighting. They're all nonsense. Just eat whole food, right? And then figure it out from there. Focus on that first, right? It's just simple, simple concepts. Breathing, we talked about that already, how important it is and nobody wants to work on it. I mean, no, I, I fight clients to work on their breathing. <laughs> like it's, you know, you would think if, if this is wrong, but everybody thinks, Hey, I'm still alive. My brain, my breathing might be good. Mm. Even, I got patients on CPAP machines arguing with me that they don't have a problem with their respiration because they have a CPAP. No, the reason you have a CPAP is because you don't breathe right. You still mm. got to work on the breathing. So just do the foundational things first and then that'll raise you up. And then you're going into a physician with a lot of the stuff they were probably going to have help you work on to begin with. You're already ahead of the game. And now they maybe only have to tweak things and they can get you there faster at a, low, at a lower price point than if they're starting from scratch. I mean, clients come in to me and they want some bottles and bottles of supplements. First thing I usually take them off is take them off all their supplements. Mm. Because if you're, if you're this sick and you're taking 20 supplements, you probably don't need any of them. How about we go back to the basics? And so that's what I really want people to get once they get the idea and the concept of what's causing illness and sickness and all your disorders is this, I'm in stress physiology. Now, how do I get myself out of it? It's not going to be in a bottle. It's going to be in your diet and your lifestyle. So focus on those things. Mm, love it, uh, Eric. Thank you so much for joining me for another great show. I love this book. Uh, we've got all the details in the show notes. Uh, and I, I really do hope people pick it up and have a read. I think it's going to help many people reframe the thyroid issues. Thank you. I appreciate being on, being on and uh, I appreciate giving the opportunity to, to voice the message. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.